29 AD or so, Jesus has been for about two years in this thing called the Galilean ministry. He's about a year from his death. This miracle that is before you kids might be one of the most well-known in all the Bible. It's the only miracle of Christ that is in all four Gospels. So because of that, what I want us to do this morning is kind of look at this from the perspective of the Gospel writers, each of them adding a wonderful detail in harmony, showing us what's happening. The picture here is of God providing, Jesus having compassion, and the people being satisfied. That threefold picture reminds us that Jesus is a certain sort of Messiah. The people, especially in John 6, we see that, had the idea that Christ as the political Messiah would come and deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus is coming to give a much greater satisfaction than that and a much greater deliverance than that. He's coming to deliver from sin and death and hell. He's coming to provide as the bread from heaven. He is the king who is a shepherd. His miracle here is another picture of the kingdom of God breaking in on this present evil age, giving the crowd and us a picture of what awaits the foretaste of the glory of heaven. Loved ones, the Lord provides for us in the mundane details of life, in the big decisions of life, in the small irritations of life, and in the chronic sufferings of life. Let's see how God provides first with compassion for hungry hearts. As Drake said, the context here is that the disciples of John the Baptist had just told Jesus that John is dead. John is Jesus' cousin. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. He's the one who proclaimed, he must increase, I must decrease. Jesus hears hears the death of John, and upon this, he wants to go to a desolate, quiet place. He's tired. He's probably grieving the death of his cousin. The disciples are tired. And it reminds us that being a workaholic is not being faithful. This is just a side note. David Strain brings this out. Bodies and brains have limits. None of us can go, 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 go. Christ, the perfect God-man, truly God, truly man, got tired. We need rest. That's the way God made us. It teaches us to depend upon the Lord. Just a side note. But the rest that was planned, as you can tell from this passage, doesn't happen. That doesn't mean the rest is not good. But what it does mean is there's an urgent need. Crowds are coming. Jesus is not here in the center of downtown Jerusalem. It's the wilderness. He's out there somewhere. And a crowd of not just 5,000, that's the men, but women and children as well, the crowd might have been 15,000, it might have been 20,000. They're surrounding Christ in the wilderness. John tells us Jesus is up on a hill. Matthew, or Mark tells us the grass is green. That's an interesting observation. It's springtime. It's Passover. Psalm 23 might come to mind. The Lord, as we just sang, makes us lie down in green pastures. 
This time of year during Passover is a time in particular when the Jews would remember God delivered us from slavery in Egypt those thousands of years ago. Now we have a crowd, we have the one who is greater than Moses, and we have people that are hungry. The connections to Psalm 78, God providing a table in the wilderness for his people. To Numbers 11, do you remember when the people were wandering children? And they said, I wish we were in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the food. That was not what life was like there, but that's what they were picturing it as. They were slaves for 400 years. Remember that in Egypt? But while they're in the wilderness, they're saying, all this manna. It's oatmeal again for breakfast, kids. You say, mom and dad, oatmeal again. Let's mix it up a little. The people said, we want meat to eat. Remember that, Numbers 11? And God said, if you want meat, you'll have meat not for a day, not for 10 days, but for a month. It'll come out of your nostrils. You will hate it. A wind came up from the Lord. Quail were brought in. The people gathered. Well, the meat was in their teeth, Numbers eleven thirty three. Before it was consumed, God's anger was kindled against the people he struck them down with a very great plague. Christ is the greater Moses. He brings a curse to his enemies when he returns again. He brings blessing to his people now and mercy and compassion. And the fabric of the bigger picture of this miracle is so important. Because the Numbers 11 is not only in the background, but Ezekiel 34 is in the background. That was our call to worship today. In the days of Ezekiel, 600 B.C., God said, I'm against my shepherds because they're not feeding the flock. They're all about themselves. I will raise up one shepherd. This is 500 years after David is dead. David is named, but it's not David. It's ultimately David's greater son. He will come and shepherd the people. He will come and care for those who are Sheep without a shepherd, for those who are wandering and going astray, for those who have desires set on wrong things, for those who need their hearts changed, for those who find it's very easy to desire anything but God, for those who find it's so easy to harden our hearts against our loved ones and against the Lord, for those who can be really hard on themselves, for those who can be really hard on other people. I've come for them. I've come for sinners who are self-righteous and need a Savior. I've I've come for those who are weary and downtrodden. I've come because I'm a God of compassion. Do you see that verse 14 in Matthew chapter 14? What is Jesus really like? That's what we've seen throughout this series in Matthew. He is a God of abundant compassion. Jesus is subject to every sinless human emotion. He has a human nature that is the same as ours, body and soul without sin. He has proper affections. And of all the emotions describing Jesus, compassion is seen again and again. That's a deep inward stirring, a care for sheep that are wandering. A compassion 
that reminds you today that you don't need to hold back with Christ? One man writes, we often hold back with each other, right? Because we're not sure how someone might receive us or what they might say to us. By the grace of God, God breaks down those barriers in the family of God through love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion to each other. But it begins here. It begins by knowing you can go to Christ and don't need to self-protect. No one who ever sought his compassion was turned away. He abounds in grace to you. You doubt, you tremble, you're uncertain. Cry out to him. He will hear you. You have physical pain. Jesus not only cares for your soul, but your body. He made you body and soul. What happens in our body affects us spiritually and vice versa. Maybe it's a financial difficulty, a chronic illness, whatever it is that we are facing, an addiction, a trial that has been going on for years. He cares for you, a body that's failing you, that's getting older, that's breaking down, that doesn't function the way it once did. He sympathizes with you. Maybe it's a dark trial and you think, is this beyond his mercy? Maybe it's a dark sin that is in your past or in your present that you think there's no way he could take care of that one. Look at the cross. He comes to you in the gospel today. None of your trials and sins are beneath his notice. None of his people are beyond his compassion. You can't exhaust it. It's not like, okay, you you take All of it today and there's none tomorrow. His mercies are new to you every morning. Sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. More is won by Christ than is lost in Adam. Loved ones, don't think that Jesus' attitude toward you is equal to the way you feel about you. He's full of compassion. He loves you. Here are some passages that remind us of that. Come to me, Jesus says, Matthew 11, with your burdens. I will give you rest. John 8, I've set you free. Free of your sins, past, present, and future. He says to you, I've paid it all. Live in joy and confidence in Christ. He is your Father. Christ is your Savior. Jesus says, there's no condemnation for you. You are united to me now and forever. He says to you, I was condemned in your place. My father didn't spare me. He delivered me up for you. I didn't remain in the grave. God raised me from the dead. Everything that Jesus did is good news for you because he's risen and reigning. I'm praying for you, Jesus says, Every moment I live to pray for you. My prayers are for your salvation. My Father always hears them. You cannot be lost. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. The charges that Satan brings against you cannot stick. There is no condemnation because I have taken your judgment and guilt. Nothing can separate you from my love. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you in your darkest moment and in your greatest joy. I'm your helper, do not fear. My love for you is from everlasting. I am your advocate, your strength, your rock, your fortress. Call upon me in your trouble. 
In me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Be of good cheer, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. Beloved, that's the kind of compassionate savior we have. Not only to them that day, but to you today. Jesus feels compassion for them. He teaches them. He instructs them. He's a good shepherd who instructs his sheep in God's word. That means that you can trust yourself completely to him. God's word nourishes your soul. You're hungry. You're tired. You can know his compassion. And you can know that his compassion is coupled with provision. Secondly, I'm struggling with the mic today. I'm not sure why. I must have put it on the wrong way. It's one thing to have compassion. It's another thing to be able to meet those needs. So this crowd has missed maybe a meal or two. We're not sure how long they've been out there. But Jesus is caring for that very physical issue of hunger. John's gospel in chapter 6 says that Jesus is testing the disciples, not tempting them. There's a difference. But testing them. Who's going to supply bread for all these people? Remember, maybe 15,000, 20,000 of them. Now, this is not a mathematical question for them. It's not, okay, how can you disciples figure this out and go and catch enough fish or find enough bread to deal with it? He's teaching them a spiritual need that only he can fulfill. But like us, and like the wandering Israelites in the days of Moses, they don't get it. They're struggling. Philip, Jesus is testing Philip to see. Philip, do you have compassion for them? Do you remember, Philip, my miracle of water into wine? My miracle is pointing to my majesty and power and glory. The setting is the wilderness. It's desolate. And Philip, is it sarcastic in John 6? We don't know. says, 200 denarii would not have enough money to buy enough bread to feed even a little bit for all these people. Meaning, eight months' wages. He's still thinking just economically. The day's going on. And the disciples, Matthew 14, verse 15. See what they tell Jesus to do? Send the people away. In our hearts, how many of us realize that is me? The end of a long day, or maybe not. Our kids, I just want to send them away a bit. They're bothering me. Our spouse, our husband, our wife, our friend, someone calls with a need. We might think, I just don't want to answer this. I don't want to deal with it. I want to escape somewhere else. Not, not now. This is too much. All of us know this in our hearts, how, how easy it is to, to think this way. Send them away. The Canaanite woman, chapter 15, the disciples did the same thing. Send her away. The people that brought the children to Jesus, same thing. Send them away. It shows how dependent we are on Jesus. He's testing them in love for them. Jesus says, okay, find out how many loaves and fish we got around here. What are they going to find? Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark does. And John does. A boy. We're not sure how old he is, kids. Maybe he's seven, maybe he's 15, but he's a younger boy. How many does he have? Bread and fish? Well, he's got five barley loaves and two fish. 
that's the smallest kind of fish, probably, and cheap bread. Even if it was good bread and good fish, is that going to help children feed 15,000 people? That might not even feed one of you if you're hungry. You might eat more than that in one meal, some of you kids, right? The situation is hopeless, that's the point. It is humanly impossible. But Jesus has authority as well, not only over nature and wind and fishing and storms, but over the most basic of your and my human needs, which is food. Food is invented by God for you to enjoy the food and enjoy more than that, the giver of the food. But it's not just bland food that God gives you, right? God wants you to take enjoyment in your meal, to delight in it. Not to feel guilty if you have a really nice meal, but to thank the giver of that food. There's a whole theology of food in the Bible. Food was involved in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and Eve sinned. Food is there in the new heavens and new earth, Revelation 22. The psalmist praises the Lord for food and wine that gladdens the heart. So food is more than just kind of fuel for living. It's something to thank God for and enjoy in the Lord. Jesus cares about the body and the soul, and he wants you and I to follow this model for how we care for each other. What Jesus is doing here is teaching the disciples about shepherding the flock. This is a message for elders and pastors and deacons, but it's for all of us. How do we care for each other? We do so, Jesus says, by recognizing we can't do it in our own power. Do you get frustrated or weary sometimes? We all do. We need to remember that we do not have the ability to love each other before we begin to even start to love each other. If we think we can do it ourselves, if we think we can just be stronger, try harder, and then we'll love that person, that's perhaps the most spiritually dangerous place to be. That's a big challenge for pastors and elders sometimes. We need to realize we are overwhelmed here And that's the place God wants us to be, to cry out to him for grace, to cry out to him for the mercy, because he will care for his sheep through the use of you as God's people and us as elders and pastors and deacons. The worst service we can do for Christ is when we think we can handle it ourselves, one man says. The world around us, you think this is overwhelming, it's dark, it's evil. It is. And God has us here for such a time as this to bring the law and the gospel, the light of the glory of God to people who are walking in darkness who need Jesus just like we do. All the power for feeding the sheep comes from him, Psalm 23. Whether it's preaching or teaching, one-on-one ministry together, when you show compassion to someone, One-on-one, you are providing a picture of Jesus' compassion to them. So day by day in your week, maybe someone calls you up and they're, they're struggling with a huge problem. You don't know what to say to them. But by listening to them, you are providing a great ministry to them. By listening and saying, I'll pray for you. I can't fix it, but I'll cry out to Jesus who will. Maybe someone's lonely and you think, I, I want to open my home in hospitality to them. But 
maybe it comes up last second and you don't have a lot of food. Whatever you have around, just throw it in, welcome them, and as they come into your home, they are experiencing the love of Jesus in a face-to-face, side-by-side, one-on-one way. Maybe it's a plan you have, a hospitality plan. That's great. And you think, I want to have these people over for dinner in my neighborhood. Or I want fellowship in the church in this way. And I'm going to encourage the family of God by showing the compassion of Jesus to them like this. Maybe it's providing a meal for someone who's sick, a mother who's had a baby, helping to babysit, helping someone with yard work, meeting someone for coffee and just being a listening ear in a busy world. In these things, you are the mask of Christ to that person. Luther said that, mask, M-A-S-K, meaning you are giving them what Christ has given you and pointing them to Christ who alone can supply all of our needs. One more application. This is not the main point of the passage, but the boy here is giving. Now, I don't want you to run off and say this is the main point, but it's actually an important application for us as a church right now. That's why I wanted to draw it out. Kevin DeYoung says this, give what you can no matter how small. That means time, talent, and treasure. But in those things, give because you have no idea, and neither do I, how God will multiply it. DeYoung says, giving is an act of faith. When we give in these ways, we are saying, I will trust God to take care of me, say it's money, with a little less money. I will trust God to use what I give, no matter how insignificant it seems, kids, for you as well. DeYoung says, we need to give more than God needs to receive. God's not fretting about his plans for the kingdom based on what we give, but we need to give. Some, he says, have the gift of giving. They see a need, they say, how can I give? Or I have money to give. Or I want to give sacrificially. Not out of guilt, but out of gratitude and joy in the gospel. In response to all God has given to us in Jesus, By the Spirit of God, God weans us from our idolatrous love of stuff. He helps us live by faith. Beloved, you are a generous congregation. You, over the many years, have shown that out of a joy in the gospel. As we prepare to move into a new building in Edina, Lord willing, later this year, this is yet another opportunity in the Lord's kindness for us to give. A building that is a blessing, we pray, for us and generations to follow in worship and discipleship, in fellowship and outreach and evangelism. The Lord provides, third, satisfaction for hungry souls. In the text in Matthew, what we see is that Jesus tells the crowd to sit down, a word referring to reclining at a table. The idea is this will be a banquet. That's the picture. It's spring. It's probably near the Golan Heights. The grass is green. The people are sitting, Mark says, in hundreds and fifties. The language there goes right back to Exodus 18. It's the Exodus. It's Christ, the greater Moses. They're sitting in these, these groups, maybe as families, but you can picture it. All these thousands of people organized. Jesus is reconstituting Israel as their true king under his rule as a shepherd king. 
He takes the five loaves and two fish. We've heard this so much, sometimes we might lose the amazing impact of this miracle. He looks up to heaven. When Jesus prays, he looks up in the Bible. Do you notice that? It's okay to look up with your eyes open in prayer. As a family, maybe around dinner, to hold each other's hands and look up together. Or in your private uh, office, looking up. Or even as a church family, looking up. Blessed are you, O God. He thanks God before the miracle happens. He takes the loaves and the fish. He's teaching us that apart from him, we can do nothing. And the miracle happens. The Lord does this. Thanksgiving and then provision. The crowd is miraculously fed. People will say, well, there's got to be another way to explain this. Higher critics will deny it. They'll say, well, the boy had food and others who had food that were hiding their food saw him give and then they gave when they saw him give to be less stingy. That's not what happened. Or maybe everyone just got a little piece and they just broke it up into thousands. That's impossible. That's not what happened. Or someone even says they hid all this food in a cave and then they passed it kind of in a, a, a brigade kind of way through the disciples to Jesus who opened up his coat and showed that. Right? Maybe you haven't heard of that. Maybe you have. There, there's all sorts of ways that people try to deny the miracle of what God has done. We either accept the Bible in total or we reject it in its entirety. There's no middle ground. If Jesus couldn't feed this crowd of 15,000, then he certainly couldn't rise from the dead on the third day. But the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who burst through the bonds of death and rose from the dead, is the God who provided miraculously for this crowd. He is the king that God provides for his people. They ate, and it says that there were leftovers. So it wasn't, maybe this happens in your house sometimes, well, we don't have a lot of food in terms of, is it ever leftover night for you? It is for us sometimes. People don't like leftover night. I think I tried, to, tried that with our kids in macaroni the other day. Have you ever tried that? And one of our sons says, I will not do leftover macaroni. Just no way, and I don't blame him. So he made a brand new macaroni. So leftover night. This is not leftover night where you're just looking around. What can we eat that won't get us sick? Or what can we reconstitute as a meal? It's not that. They're full. The Lord of the covenant provides abundantly for you, beloved. Exceedingly. Jesus' grace never runs out. Our need never exceeds his grace. Our strength runs out. And I don't know about your life, but sometimes when that happens, I tend to panic or, or get anxious or I need to cry out to the Lord. When I'm tired or I'm realizing it's not my strength, that's a place where I cry to the Lord. I cry to the Lord. I need to learn that all the time, right? We tend to either panic or despair. God says, no, cry out to Jesus. Love upon love. Your sin is no barrier. Your past is no limitation. Your fears are no hindrance to his steadfast love. He fills his people. He teaches us to trust him. He reminds us he's the one greater than Elijah. Do you remember 1 Kings? God, through Elijah, provides the flour and oil for the widow. She gives some to him. God multiplies it and feeds them. That was pointing to this. Jesus is the one greater than Elijah. Elijah. 
Do you remember 2 Kings 4? Elisha. He multiplies the loaves of a servant boy. God does it. There's barley there. A hundred men are fed with only 20 barley loaves. There's leftovers. The man of God comes. They eat. It's set before them. They praise God. Those are pictures in the Old Testament of the one greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, who satisfies for you today. He feeds you today with manna from heaven and me, his word, his spirit, the Lord's Supper and baptism, Lord willing, in a few weeks. He provides your daily needs, your daily bread. He provides you with his blood and righteousness, with himself, with the inheritance that is God. He gives you himself. By nature, we are in our hearts restless. We look for the next big thing. We move on from here to there. We are so easily dissatisfied. Psalm 78 talks about that. The people in Israel were so filled with grumbling. That's our heart by nature. God, change my heart. When I'm hungry and dissatisfied, help me to see what I'm hungry for is God, is Christ. Nothing in this world will satisfy. No idol will satisfy. No good thing will satisfy. God made you for himself. Your heart and my heart is restless until it rests in Jesus. Your chief end and mine is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Beloved, have you found rest in Jesus? Does this miracle encourage you to rest in Christ and to look forward to what awaits? What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, the joy of the heavenly banquet, when all the effects of the curse will be gone, when the king of this creation will transform it, it'll be a new heaven and a new earth, when there will be no more hunger, no more dissatisfaction, no more sin, no more death, no more suffering. This miracle is a glimpse of that. And so come, Jesus says, without money. Come by and eat. Seek the Lord while he is near. Call upon him. And look to the day of Isaiah 25 when the Lord will make for all peoples, his elect, every tribe, tongue, and nation, a feast of rich food, well-aged wine, marrow, He will swallow up the covering of death. He will wipe away all tears. It will be said on that day, how glorious will it be? This is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Let's stand. The Lord guides us through this wilderness age. And this song... Guide me, O thou great Jehovah.